verses 18 through 22. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Let's pray quickly. Heavenly Father, open our eyes today to see You. Help us to hear You. Soften our hearts to receive Your Word. Would You please grow our love and affections to love You with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbors as ourselves. Amen. Have you heard of the woman uh, Rosaria Butterfield? Before her conversion coming to Christ, she was a tenured and well-respected professor at Syracuse University. She owned two houses with her partner. She was very active in the feminist movement in the late 80s and 90s, and the gay rights movement. She and her partner would use those houses to host activists and students. It was a place of refuge for them. Then, in 1999, she felt the, the irresistible call to follow Christ. Now, before moving forward, it's, I think it's important to say one thing tends to happen in evangelical circles far too often. We champion these testimonies, rightfully so. It's an amazing story of God's grace in a person's life. But most of the time, it's not in a God-honoring way, but in a, take that, we got another one of yours. We view these people not as people, but as commodities, as trophies to put on our shelves. What we end up doing is we depersonalize the call to follow Christ. We depersonalized what it really took and what it really looked like to follow Christ. And because of that, what ends up happening is when we evangelize, we set a low bar thinking, well, if Rosaria did it, then you should too. And it should happen right now. 
we don't realize what we're doing is we are belittling the seriousness of conversion. We are belittling the seriousness of what the cost of following Christ looks like. Let's hear what our sister Rosaria has to say about conversion and following Christ. <laughs> How do I tell you about my conversion to Christ or to Christianity? without making it sound like an alien abduction or a train wreck. Truth be told, it felt like a little of both. Conversion put me in a complicated and comprehensive chaos. I sometimes wonder, when I hear other Christians pray for the salvation of the lost, if they realize that this comprehensive chaos is the desired end of such prayers. Often, people ask me to describe the lesson I learned from this experience. I can't. It was too traumatic. Sometimes in crisis, we don't really learn lessons. Sometimes the result is simple and more profound. Sometimes our character is simply transformed. This is my conversion in a nutshell. I lost everything but the dog. If you want to read a great memoir, go out and find this book, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, by Rosaria Butterfield, and read it. In our passage today, we will see Jesus getting ready to board and abandoned the crowds. He's getting ready to board a boat to abandon the crowds. And before he gets on the boat, he is met with two different people. One is eager to follow him and says, I will go with you anywhere, and yet does not count the cost. And so Jesus helps him out here and calls out the comforts that resided in the heart that this scribe did not want to part with. However, the second person was very casual in following Christ and wants to follow Him on His own terms. And so, Jesus calls out the urgency of His mission and message. And so, here's the aim of the sermon this morning. It's a very simple, reflective question for you. Have you counted the cost and followed Jesus? Have you counted the cost and followed Jesus? This morning, let's think about this reflective question in two points. The first point, verses 18 through 20, Jesus calls out the comforts. Second point, Verses 21 through 22, Jesus calls us to urgency. All right, are you ready? Let's go. First, Jesus is calling out the comforts. We come to verses 18 through 22, and this is what we see Jesus doing. He's calling out the comforts of this hopeful follower. But before we dive into Jesus' interaction with this hopeful and urgent follower or eager follower, verse 18 is an important hook for us. Verse 18 almost acts as a foreshadow of what's about to come. So let's 
Take a look at it. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. In the Gospels, we see many times when Jesus gets up and abandons the crowds. Other times, Jesus is trying to fly under the radar to not be noticed by the crowds. Have you ever wondered, why in the world would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus just get up and leave the crowds? Why would he try to fly under the radars and even go as far to tell people who he's healed, don't tell anybody that I've healed you? Contrary to popular belief, Jesus was not out to convince people to follow him by using flashy wonders and signs. Here's one example that Matthew gives us. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, And an evil An adulterous generation seeks for a sign. You see, Jesus is not out to attract crowds by advertising through miracles and signs and wonders. I've often time gotten the question, what is community church doing to advertise themselves to the public? What is community church doing to make themselves appealing to the public? To be more attractive? Until recently, I really didn't know how to answer this question. It never really sat well in my stomach. And it wasn't until recently, until I listened to a pastor speak on this, and his answer is my answer. You want to know our method of advertising here at community church? You want to peek behind the closed doors of when Todd, Bill, and I sit down and talk about how to reach this area? Our method of advertising is to help you look so much like Jesus that people can't help but see that something's changed in you. Our method of advertising, this is our strategy, is for you to look like Christ. It's for you to go out to your neighbors and family and them to see Christ so prominent in your life that they can't help but see transformation by the power of the Gospel. That's our method for advertising. Why is this? Because people should follow Jesus for Jesus. People should follow Jesus not to get something out of Him, but to get Him. As we move on, This is what we are about to see. Two people desiring to follow Jesus 
because of something else. It's not for the sake of following Jesus because He is worthy to be followed. It's because they can get something from Him. And right now, in our churches, we have a problem. We follow Jesus at times because the music is good and it makes me feel something. We follow Jesus because the preacher says what I want to hear and he sounds more like a life coach and doesn't hit on those nasty words hell and sin all that often. Or the preacher talks about all of those sinners out in the world that's ruining our country. We follow Jesus because the people who we hang out with look like us, think like us, and so we decide to fellowship with them because, really, it's just the same people that I can get along with. So let me ask the reflective question before we move on. Have you counted the cost and follow Jesus. Before getting in the boat and leaving, a man comes up to Jesus, a scribe. A scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And there are a few things that stick out that we cannot miss. The first thing that we see in this verse is that the person who comes up to Jesus is a scribe. Out of all people, a scribe comes up to Jesus. Now, if you're not familiar with why this is so scandalous that a scribe would come up to Jesus, it's the scribe who plots with the Pharisee to get Jesus killed. It's the scribe who's constantly trying to throw Jesus off. The second thing that we notice about this passage is that although that it's a scribe. The scribe seems to be sincere in his following Jesus. He goes as far to call Jesus teacher. The scribe calls Jesus teacher. The scribe respects Jesus. He responds to Jesus, giving him title teacher. And the last thing we see is that this man is eager to follow Jesus. Basically, what the scribe is saying when he says, I will go wherever you go, he's saying, wherever you want me to go, even to the ends of the earth, I will go. Doesn't this seem like a prime candidate for Jesus? A scribe. A scribe who would have had way more brain power and influence and say in society than any of the 12 current disciples Jesus had. This is the person to have, isn't it? Before telling the scribe to get on the boat, Jesus confronts the man's heart. 
And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, the King of heaven, comes down to dwell with his creation and has nowhere to lay his head? I think we could take great comfort in that reality. What is Jesus trying to say here, though? Is he trying to say that he's homeless? Or that coming on the mission with him means a mission of homelessness? Well, I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is saying right here. I think he's trying to point out and draw out the man's heart. What Jesus is saying is, Because my mission goes from town to town proclaiming the kingdom of God, Jesus does not look for the secluded hotel with the pool and hot tub and masseuses to help him unwind after a long day. There were good and kind people who opened up their door to him. And if they didn't, then he went right on. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you tell them that you can do something and then it almost seems like they're trying to convince you why you can't or why you shouldn't do it? I feel like lately I'm having this conversation with Haddon a lot. It almost seems like Jesus is trying to convince the scribe to not come with him to not be a part of this mission. It's almost as if Jesus is trying to get him to turn away. But it's not that Jesus is trying to get him to turn away, but Jesus is confronting the heart of the scribe, the comforts of everyday life. The the scribe did not count the cost before making this eager request or statement. And Jesus, knowing the heart, is drawing this out of the scribe, he's drawing out the idol of comfort. A scribe would have had a nice home, a comfy bed, a pillow to lay his head on, blankets and sheets, and Jesus is saying, this will not be your life. The scribe very well could have looked at Jesus' sign and wonders and thought to himself, this is a great investment plan. Jesus is going around and healing people. He has to be making a profit. But this was not the mission of Jesus. Jesus traveled around proclaiming the gospel and healing the sick because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus went around from town to town hanging out with the sinners and tax collectors because he is the friend of sinners. This is the uncomfortable reality of following Jesus. His mission consists of going to uncomfortable places and eating dinner with uncomfortable people. 
This is why when we come to Jesus, we should come to Jesus for Jesus alone and not for Jesus in some type of benefit. So let me ask this question again. Have you counted the cost and followed Jesus? Because the mission of Jesus and following Jesus is a very uncomfortable reality. So a good question that maybe you could ask ourselves or that we could ask ourselves as we move forward, church, is do we find ourselves weekly in a comfortable place breaking bread with people that we are comfortable with? Or do we find ourselves at times in uncomfortable places having conversations with uncomfortable people Where do we land on this? Have we counted the cost and followed Jesus? In our second point, verses 21 through 22, Jesus is now interacting with a man who is very casual to follow him. So Jesus shows us the urgent call to follow him. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. At, at this time, a disciple just means a follower, or, or even better, just a, a, a listener. Over time, it gradually meant to be a follower of Christ, but at this point in time, it would mean that you would just go around listening to a teacher. And as this disciple is over hearing the scribe's request, the disciple makes a, a noble request to bury his father. Now, we don't know, because context doesn't tell us, if the father was already dead, but history helps fill in some of these areas for us what history would tell us is that the father could have been dead or on his deathbed and the disciple is making this request. What it could have been is that the father is weeks away from dying and they're preparing. The request could have been, my father is a few years out from dying. Or it could have been, my father is currently dead and I'm just waiting for everything to decompose besides the bones so I can move the bones to another place. Either way, what is taking place here is the disciple is looking for the inheritance that he would receive by staying back to see his father through. Wouldn't this be, just as the disciple heard Jesus say, foxes, have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, this inheritance be a good resource for the disciples to maybe stay in a two-star hotel and not some random person's house. And so Jesus responds to this man's casual request. Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. 
Now, we may come to this and think that this is pretty insensitive. Isn't Jesus supposed to be compassionate and kind and He's telling the son who wants to do a noble thing to, to bury his parent and see their parent through their final days. Doesn't this seem a bit insensitive of Jesus? Jesus isn't being insensitive. What he's actually saying is, if there are people who are spiritually dead, let them bury the physical dead. Come along with me now. Now, I think it's important to, to, to bring this up because I've talked with people who look at this as, as an excuse to just not honor their parents. Is Jesus suggesting here that we break the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother, to totally forsake them? Well, later, Matthew actually shows Jesus rebuking the Pharisees for taking advantage of their parents. Jesus says, and why do you break the commandment of God for the, or for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. So Jesus isn't advocating disobedience to their parents. Kids, Please listen. You are to honor and obey your father and mother so that it will go well with you. But before parents start to give a little fist bump or start to give a little hurrah, parents, do you realize that your kids are not your own? Your kids belong to God. And because of that, at the right age, you are to let them go and serve God. Because at the end of the day and at the top of the list, our allegiance is to God. So what is Jesus trying to communicate right here? I think the best place for us to look at is in 1 Kings. 1 Kings 19, if we were to look at verses 15 through 20, we, we see the prophet Elijah being told to go and do something by God. Let me read it for us. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shehaphat, and Abel, Mahalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shehephet, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelve. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. 
and said, Let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back, for what have I done to you? Now, without getting into intense details, what are we seeing unfold here in this situation? God is calling Elijah to go and bring a message. He's calling Elijah to go to Elisha, anoint him as the next prophet. And so when Elijah goes and asks Elijah if he can go back to his parents for a time, what is Elijah's response? Sure. Why not? Take take your time. What have I done to you? Elijah's response to Elisha is a very passive response. And why is that? Well, what is the, the message that God is calling Elijah and Elisha to? And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall, shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. This is a message of death and destruction that God is calling Elijah and Elisha to. But what is the message of Jesus? Is the message of Jesus death and destruction? Let's listen to what Jesus tells John the Baptist's followers. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. The message of Christ is not one of death and destruction. It is life and peace. The message that Christ is bringing saves people from death and destruction. It is good news being preached. This is why Jesus is calling the disciples to follow Him and follow Him now. There is urgency behind the message here. Because it brings life and peace, not death and destruction. This is the most wonderful message that we could hear and know and bring to people. And so Jesus is calling the people to be urgent in following Him. This is the urgency that Jesus still calls us to today. This is the same message that Christ came into the world. He bore our sins on the cross. He received the full wrath of God that we should receive. And He rose three days later so that those who put their trust in Him would not perish but have eternal life. This is the good news. And I wonder if you're here this morning and you don't trust Jesus. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've been casual with Jesus. I'd be more than welcome to talk with you after the service. I'll be standing back by the door. If we have to go into one of the offices, I'd be more than willing. But this is the urgency of the message that Jesus is bringing to people. 
Let me ask the question again. Have you counted the cost and followed Jesus? As we leave this time of worship, please, please do not leave without coming up with an answer to the question. Take time to reflect and think. Have you counted the cost and followed Jesus? Or have you counted the cost in order to follow Jesus and something else? We have been called to an uncomfortable mission with an urgent message. Have you counted the cost and followed Jesus? Are you in uncomfortable places talking to and breaking bread with uncomfortable people sharing an urgent message of life and peace? Or are you around people that look like you, think like you, and it turns into one complaining fest of gossiping and slandering people made in the image of God? And maybe right now, Maybe right now you're down and you're thinking to yourself, I can't do this though. I can't do this. This is too scary. This is too big of a task. I'd like to leave us with a promise from Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And here's the promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with you. What a, what a promise. Let's pray. Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for calling us to follow you and being with us always. Amen. Just stand as we close.
blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.